What a difference a week can make in someone's life. What a difference a week makes from Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna is he who comes in the name of the Lord to crucify him, crucify him. On what we call Palm Sunday, Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Cheering crowds gathered to meet Him. He rode in on a donkey. They threw palm branches down, fulfilling prophecy. They shouted, Hosanna and Hosanna. The disciples were excited. They thought, this is it. This is the ushering in of the new kingdom. This is the overthrow of our Roman oppressor. Everyone was excited. Jesus, not so much. The Bible tells us at the end of that March, he looked out from Bethany over to Jerusalem and began to weep. Weeping because he knew not just that in 50 years Jerusalem would be destroyed and the temple would be destroyed. He knew that many that he looked out upon would reject the message of that final week. They would reject and walk away from the whole purpose of him being there in Jerusalem on that Passover Holy Week. He spent Monday and Tuesday, we know, going to the temple and overturning the tables. My house will be a house of prayer. This will be a place of holiness. He began to rebuke the Pharisees. He spent time talking with those who he loved. On Wednesday, he spent time with friends and family. Thursday, he gathered those closest to him and they celebrated the Passover meal together. A joyous time. An exciting time. And then as they left the upper room and went to the Garden of Gethsemane to begin to pray, everything began to change. Everything turned. What a difference a week makes. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that from the moment of man's creation, from the moment that we were created in the Garden of Eden, everything in biblical history, everything in time had been moving, had been going forward and pointing to this moment the events that took place there at Holy Week. Everything that we read about in the Old Testament, everything that we've studied all point towards Jesus' death on the cross. Noah, Abraham, and Abraham's covenant with God, Isaac and Jacob, the children of Israel being sent into slavery in Egypt, Moses and the burning bush, Moses and the Ten Commandments and the institution of the Mosaic Law, the law that would allow us to please God or displease God by our behavior, the temple and the tabernacle, the prophets, David, the exile, Jesus' birth, John the Baptist, the miracles, the teachings, the gathering of His disciples, every one of those events were leading to this Holy Week. Every one of those events were leading to this penultimate time in history. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter and in Ephesians and also in John's Gospel that from the foundations of the earth at the moment that God created mankind with a free will, He initiated a plan that involved sending His only Son so that you and I might be made right with God. And from the foundations of the earth, from the beginning of the creation, Jesus had been on a journey that culminated in Jerusalem that week. It was all a part of God's plan. It was a part of God's plan to be able to destroy sin, to destroy sin's power over His creation, to get rid of sin once and for all and the power it held over us. 
It was all a part of God's plan to reconcile mankind. You see, God's plan wanted us to be made righteous so that He could experience a relationship with us and us a relationship to Him like it was in the garden. To remove the corrupt stain of sin so that we could be intimately in a relationship with Him. It was all His plan pointing to this week. Forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation. That's why this last week of Jesus' life plays such a prominent role in the New Testament. In the four Gospels, if you were to go through, Matthew uses eight of his 28 chapters to talk about the last week of Jesus. Mark devotes six of his 16 chapters. Luke, six of his 26. And John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, dedicated half, ten of the 21 Chapters in his gospel to describe this final week. It's why this morning all over the world in churches, the pews are full. There'll be pageantry. There'll be incredibly spiritually and moving songs like what we just sang. There'll be choir cantatas and videos and special music and dramas and communion. Pastors all over this country will be pulling out their home run, emotional sermon, hoping that maybe somehow it will get those that are there for Easter to come back the next week. Some of those pastors will recount the last week of Jesus' life. Most will focus on His last day. They'll focus on the trial. They'll focus on the beatings and the suffering and the scourging. They'll, They'll focus on the lashes to His back and to His body. They'll focus on the crown of thorns that was pushed down onto his head as he was led through the streets of Jerusalem and to jeers, to people spitting the same crowd that shouted Hosanna, now spitting at him and and chanting crucify. They'll focus on him stumbling and someone coming out of the crowd to pick up his cross and go with him to Calvary. They'll focus on those nails being hammered into his hands and feet. Some this morning will focus on those that were there. How it affected those who were watching. His family, his disciples, his mother there at the cross, his best friend John and some of his other followers. Some will focus on the thief like what we saw in that video. What did the thieves think as they sat there getting forgiven by this man on the cross with them? Some will think about Pilate or the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders. Others will focus on what happens afterwards. You see, if you were to go and read in each of the four Gospels, that last few moments of Jesus' life, each one of them is different. Each one of them tells a little different tale, and that's good, because when we encounter an event, we all see it differently. We all bring our own stuff to how we describe what took place, and each of the disciples and each of the writers of the Gospels brought some of what they had been told. Luke, he's the only one who tells us the story of the thief. Today you will be with me in paradise. Luke, who says Jesus' last words were, Into thy hands I commit myself. John, the beloved disciple, the one who goes on and on about the last week of Jesus, he is where we find out that Jesus' last words were just three simple words. It is finished. And in those simple words, it is finished, Jesus is saying the job is done, the sacrifice complete. 
The law has been fulfilled. There are no more need for religious acts and religious rituals. That from that moment on, the moment he said it is finished, your forgiveness and my forgiveness and God's love of us and our acceptance of God and our relationship to God no longer required my efforts or ability. See, from that moment on, God would never love me more and God would never love me less than that love that he shared on the cross. John wanted us to understand in saying that it is finished, that my efforts and my attempt at goodness will never be enough. It all depends on what took place on the cross. And at that place, it was done. Matthew and Mark's versions are almost similar. Many believe that Matthew copied from Mark's version and Mark got it from someone else. But it's in Matthew and Mark's version that we have the last words recorded of Jesus being in Aramaic. It is that phrase, Eloi, Eloi, Lamai, Sabachthani, that is translated, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Many pastors will be teaching on those words and, and showing how it was Jesus who was nailed to a cross at nine in the morning. And the Bible tells us at the noon hour, darkness filled the world. And it was in that darkness, those last three hours between noon and three when he died, that, that in that darkness that all the sins of man was weighed onto Jesus Christ. And many will teach that it was there that God turned his back on his only son. That God, who could not look at sin, looked at my sin and your sin on his beloved son and departed. And in the loneliest words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that would be true. But you see, I believe it's a little different. For you see, I believe that when Jesus was there on the cross and in that, that version that Mark and Matthew tell us when he says, Eloi, Eloi, Lamai, Sabachthani, he's not just saying, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? What he's doing is he's reminding everyone that's there that it's not the end of the story. Eloi, Eloi, Lamai, Sabachthani is the very first verse in Psalms 22. The Psalms were song books. Matter of fact, the word psalm in Greek means songs. And it was the songs that the Hebrew and the Jewish and the Israelites would sing. And they memorized them and they would sing them on all occasions. They had songs for celebrations and songs for mourning. They had songs for when they were angry. They had songs for when they were going up and worshiping, when they would go up to the temple called the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms were different in Jesus' day. and Instead of having the chapters and the verses, they didn't have those. So you couldn't come to a group of people and say, everybody turn to Him, 216. If you wanted somebody to know what song you were referencing, what song you would sing, you would say the first verse, the first phrasing. If you wanted to sing Psalms 23... You should say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then everyone would join in and began to sing. And I believe it is here on the cross that Jesus references probably the most messianic prophecy that was written a thousand years by David that points to what was taking place. Any of the Jewish listeners that were there, when they heard that, because they had memorized these Psalms, they would know he is talking about Psalms 22. Psalms 22 not only talked about what was happening right then, it continued on. I want you just to listen for a minute. Verse 1 of Psalms 22, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then verse 2 describes the darkness he was experiencing. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, you are silent. 
Then he talks about the ridicule in verse 6 and 8 of 22. But I am warned, not a man, scorned by men and despised by people. All who stare at me mock me. They hurl insults. They, they shake their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him, they say. Let the Lord deliver him since he delights in him. Does that sound familiar? A thousand years before the death of Jesus. Verse 14 and 15, the psalmist writes, For I am poured out like water, and all of my bones are out of joint, and my heart is turned to wax, and it is melted within me, for my strength is dried up like a pot shard, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth, and you lay the death of dust on me. It's describing what he's going through. Verse 16, Dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men has encircled me, for they have pierced my hands and pierced my feet. Verse 18, for they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So you think it's an accident that while Jesus was on the cross, when he is about to give his life for you and I, and those around him are mourning and they're crying, and many of the disciples had spread out and they were scared. They they didn't understand what was going on. Frightened, losing a friend. That in that moment, Jesus looks down and calls their attention to something they would already know. Not because it just describes what was happening in that moment, but because it went on to describe that that was not the end. See, I believe what Jesus was trying to remind His followers and His family is that there was something else to come. That everything that happened before this time was pointing to the cross, and that work was finished, but in three days there would be a new road and a new path. An empowered path that left from an empty tomb. And even on the cross, I think Jesus was pointing to His disciples. Listen how it ends, Psalms 22. You can go read it when you get home if you don't believe me. Verse 22, For I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. You see, He's saying there is coming a time when I will not be on this cross, but I will be alive in the presence of God, and I will be praising you. And the people will be shouting for victory. Verse 23, You who fear the Lord, praise Him. And all you descendants of Jacob, honor Him and rever Him, all you descendants of Israel. For He has not despised. Listen to this. He has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden His face from Him, but has listened to His cry for help. See, I believe Jesus is saying, listen, God's got this. He's reminding those that are there that even in the darkest of hours, even when you and I face our most difficult journeys, our most difficult paths, that God is always there. And He's heard your cry. He's not saying God has turned His back on me. He's saying, don't you understand? This is a plan. And there's more coming. It's a highlight reel. The preview Verse 25, from you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. God will always keep his promise. For the poor will eat and be satisfied, and they who seek the Lord will praise him. And may your hearts live forever. For all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all of the families of nations will bow down before him. What he is saying is, don't you understand that what is taking place here is so much more significant than what's taking place in the temple? The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that there were probably 2 million people in Jerusalem that Passover week. That meant that there were almost 250,000 thousand lambs to be prepared to be sacrificed. 
And in that three o'clock time, as Jesus is breathing his last, they, they had gathered all of those lambs. They had been prepared during that nine-hour time period. And as they took those lambs was when Jesus shouted, Eloi, Eloi, Lamai, Sabachthani, because he was wanting to tell them, don't you understand, that just covers sin. What I'm doing wipes it away. And not just for these people, not just for the Jews, not just for those who were part of the old covenant, but for all mankind. All mankind can be saved. Salvation is available. He says, verse 28, For the dominion belongs to the Lord, and He rules over all the nations. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is saying, listen, they may mock me now, but I am coming back, and when I come back, I will come as a ruler. For all the rich of the earth will feast and worship, and all who go down to the dust, it's talking about death, will kneel before Him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. He is prophesying, is there is coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, it may look dark. It, it was dark outside. It was dark inside. Blood running down that tree. His hands and his, his feet pierced. But Jesus was saying, don't give up. This isn't the end. This isn't how the story ends. He says in verse 30, For posterity will serve Him, and future generations will proclaim the good news of the Lord. For they will proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn what He has done. People always say, well, I'm trying to figure out what secrets there are in the Bible. There are no secrets. The Bible interprets the Bible. On the cross, as people were weeping and mourning, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, looked down at those, His beloved mother and His beloved best friend and all of those around Him and the thieves that were there on the cross. And He said, Eloi, Eloi, Lemai, Sabachthani. Because He said, go and read it, sing it, remember it. This may look dark. It's Friday. But Sunday's coming. Victory. Then the Bible says Jesus breathed his last. They rushed him off the cross. Passover was coming. He had to be prepared for burial before dark. So they took his body and they, they took it to a borrowed grave. And they prepared it for burial. And they had to do a hastily sought out job because time was running away. You see, you and I need to understand that you can't have a new life without death. You can't have Easter Sunday without Good Friday. You can't have eternal life without a physical death. Now, I know some would say that as they closed that stone, you remember the religious leaders, they, they knew that Jesus was probably going to try to trick them, that the disciples might come and take, because He had told everybody He was coming back. The only ones who didn't remember it were the disciples. The religious leaders all knew the story. He said, I'm coming back in three days. So they said, listen, put a stone and put a guard there. And for three days it was silent and Jesus waited. Now I know there are some in church history who have taught or like to teach that maybe Jesus went to hell in that three days and He had to fight the devil for, for the keys to death. Jesus didn't go to hell. Jesus didn't tell the thief on the cross, listen, I've got to go somewhere first, then I'll meet you in paradise. The devil didn't have any keys, and if he had to fight the devil, it wouldn't have been much of a fight. Jesus had the keys to 
death and eternity in His hands from the moment of creation. So why did He wait? Why three days? Because first of all, it fulfilled several prophecies that He would come alive after three days being in the ground. And those three days gave it enough time for people to realize that He was really dead. You remember, right before this, they had gone to see Lazarus and and Lazarus' sisters were weeping because they said, listen, you're too late. He's been dead three days. And when bodies in those days were dead three days, you didn't want to go in the tomb. And so when someone was dead three days, there was no question and there was no doubt. And and so Jesus stayed there and He bid His time and He waited. The Bible tells us on the third day, just as He had professed, just as it had been prophesied, the women came back with the Passover done to finish His burial. They brought herbs and spices and flowers and they were going to finish His burial, make it look nice. And as they came to where that stone was in front of the tomb, it was gone and the soldiers were gone. And then they met the resurrected Jesus Christ who said, it is me. I'm alive. That is what we celebrate. That is why we are here. Now most of us in this room, we know the story. You've been to Easter services. You you learned it in vacation Bible school. We sang all of these wonderful songs about it. Every year we gather together and some of you have spent 40 days of of Lent preparing your heart to get ready for this moment. While you were watching the video or while you took communion and while you were singing the songs, maybe it, it moved you, maybe you got emotional. But see, the real question for us church this morning is what will we take away from Easter? How will this Easter be any different than last Easter? We can come and sing songs and watch videos and take communion and and get emotional and get nostalgic and and see our families and friends and put on nice clothes and, and come and hear the story and sing the songs. But what difference will this Easter make tomorrow or next week or when you face a trial or struggle? Matter of fact, what difference will this Easter make later on this afternoon? You see, I want to close with letting you hear something the Apostle Paul said, just a a quick snippet about what Easter meant to him. In the middle of his letter to the church at Philippi, he is encouraging them and he's sharing his testimony. And, And as I bring this all together, I want you to hear what he says about his testimony. And in Philippians 3, verse 7, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's he saying? Everything that everybody thinks is important in my life is rubbish compared to Jesus Christ. For what more I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost everything. I consider them trash that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that might come from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And here's the key. For I want to know the power of His resurrection. That word know is not like knowing the Christmas story or the Easter story. That word know there is intimately experience. 
Paul saying that the empty tomb cannot leave you the same because there is a resurrection power that took place in the life of Jesus that now takes place in all of those who claim to be in communion with Him. He's saying, I want to have that power every day. That's the message of Easter. It's not about singing songs or or getting emotional or or dressing up. It's about recognizing that the power that brought Jesus out of the tomb is now available to every Christ follower that claims it. Paul says, I want to intimately experience it. I want it to be real today and real tomorrow and real next week. The Bible teaches us that every believer in Jesus Christ has been resurrected. Do you understand that? Don't check out. Don't miss this. What the Bible wants us to understand is that we identify with Christ. We died with Him. We were buried with Him. My old life, who I used to be, who I claim to be, who I put all of my hopes and thoughts and, and desires in, all of my past dreams, all of that was buried in that tomb with Jesus Christ. And when He came out of that tomb, He brought a new me with Him and a new power, and a new relationship, and a new desire. And everyone who walks away from that tomb is different. Or you hadn't been to the tomb. Everyone who walks away from the empty tomb is different. Or you never were at the tomb in the first place. The sad thing this morning is that too many Christ followers are still wrapped up in their old stinking burial clothes of their old life and laying in a tomb. They've never gotten up and shed those things and recognized the power of the resurrection and taken what is theirs and walked out of that tomb into victory. So many Christians are living beneath what God's given you. Living beneath the message of the resurrection. Living beneath the power of the Holy Spirit that you have inside of you now. And if we're not still moping around in a tomb that God rolled the stone away and said, Get out here! Then we're roaming around outside of the tomb mourning the old dead body we left behind. Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross And walk out of that empty tomb resurrected so you could try harder. Jesus didn't walk out of that empty tomb so you could do better this week. Or feel better about yourself. Or so that you could be more religious. Or so you could be more devout. Or so that you could give Him one day out of your week. He didn't rise from the grave to make the old you better and wiser and more spiritual. Jesus Christ came out of the grave so that you could die. And so that there could be a new you. A new you transformed by the power of the resurrection. You understand, within you today, you have the same power that brought Jesus out of the tomb. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? Paul said, I want to experience it every day. Well, let's think about Paul's life. He went from Christian killer to the greatest missionary that the Bible can ever record. You say, oh, but Pastor, you don't know who I was. It's dead. Pastor, you don't know how how much I have in my past and all of my, my struggles and all of my baggage. It's dead in the tomb. When you came out and you identified as a new believer in Christ, old is dead, new is alive, it's time for you to claim it. Time for you to start walking in it. 
time for you to apply it to your marriages, to your relationships, to your workplace, to your witness, to your church. You see, you now have the power to change. You get a new beginning, a new start. People always ask me, well, Pastor, you're always talking about new beginnings. When does that start? Right now. It doesn't even matter how you came in today. Somebody may have drugged you to church and you were like, stinking church, I don't want to go. I, I got slept in or I got other stuff going on or, you know, I want to go eat or we got Easter baskets. That was always me as a kid. Why don't we have to put that, all this candy and we got to go to church? And so some of you, oh, gosh, I don't want, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you just came because you're with your whole family and this isn't your thing and you're not religious and, and you don't, you know, get into all this stuff. None of that stuff matters. What matters is how you leave. You have the power within you to change, to change who you are, to change what you were before. You're no longer limited by your past or your sin or your mistakes or your pain or your hurt or your failure. Those things no longer define you. And if you let them, stop listening to the liar who's the devil because he's got you living in an empty tomb. Come out. You've got the power to change. You've got the power to conquer. Do you realize that when Jesus walked out of that tomb and overcame death, hell, and the grave, that nothing could stop Him? That the enemy threw everything He could? Nothing could stop Christ. The Bible says we have that same power. The power to overcome sin, to say no. The power to overcome fear and death. You know when eternal life starts? Not when you die. Eternal life starts the moment you said yes to Jesus. I see so many Christians living in fear pastor politics and the world events and what's going to happen and you know the churches are closing their doors i read this week about 25 churches just this week that all of them averaged over 1500 people 20 years ago and they've all closed their doors because they just died because all the churches are dying and america is changing and i'm so scared if not for me for my kids and my grandkids why do you not understand you're walking in eternity you're not headed towards death. I get so tired of people talking. I'm just, I'm just waiting to die. Your body may be. You're not walking towards death. You're walking from death. Death has been defeated. Death has been... Now every breath that I take, every step that I live, I am walking in eternity. And there, yes, is going to come a day when this thing is going to give out or quit. But all that means is I will step over into my new perfect body. Now, it won't be much of a leap for me, but for some of you, it, it's going to be a transition. I was just seeing if you were listening. Some of you lost loved ones this year. And I know it's hard. Let me tell you something. They are singing about Easter in a way that you and I could never imagine. Because just as much as we know, the Bible says we see a glass half full. They're, they're experiencing it. They're singing the hallelujahs. We have conquered sin. We have conquered death. We have the power to change. And the last thing I want you to hear is that you have the power to transform. What happened at the empty tomb is that power now allows what the world meant for evil to be turned into good. The empty tomb now means that my power can be turned from my pain. That God can now turn my hurt into healing, my suffering into strength, my doubt into faith. He can take my mourning and turn it into dancing. That's the promise of the empty tomb. The power of the resurrection takes a meaningless, lost, hurting, and confused life 
and brings peace, love, purpose, and direction. That's the message of the empty tomb. Have you experienced that? If the message of the cross was love wins and all of biblical history was leading up to it, then the message of the empty tomb is a transformed, resurrected new life and every road leads away from it. Because in that instant, those three days became the terminus of time. What does terminus mean? It just means a connecting place. It's where new and old came together. Let me ask you, has that happened to you? Have you had a place where old you met Jesus and knew you walked away? That's the power of the resurrection. Paul says, I don't want to just know the story. I want to live it. See, I just don't want to do Easter again. Just don't want to get excited and love the decorations and sing the songs and watch the videos and and shout He lives and in Christ alone and celebrate His resurrection. I want to go out and live it this week to a lot of hurt, lost, and confused people. That's the power. What about you? Have you ever experienced that power? Are you experiencing that power? C.S. Lewis says this, The Christ story began with life from an empty womb and ended with life from an empty tomb. How so much like God. Empty womb, empty tomb. That takes the perfect description of how God who creates things that are out of things that are not and who can make dead come back to life. That's your promise this morning. That's the promise of the empty tomb. Get out and experience it. Let's pray.